The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Everyone is always asking me about dating advice, and I really think it comes down to one major key. Do you do you when it comes to dating? I mean, you can follow all these rules and do everything, but at the end of the day, you have to do you. You have to be able to take yourself to a nice dinner and take yourself home. You have to make yourself feel good and yourself, you have to get yourself off. I mean, that's the way that you have an orgasm. Match believes that the most important relationship you have is with yourself. So in a world where you can choose to do anything or anyone, choose you first because dating someone who knows what they want and won't settle for less, that's sexy as hell. Match is one of my favorite dating apps for so many reasons, but mostly because it's about putting you first, which I really, really love. If you haven't tried Match yet, you really ought to because everyone else has and everyone else has been raving about it for a reason. So check out Match in the App Store Match Dating. If you do you, which you should, you already know the best relationships show up when you show up for yourself first. There's never been a better time to try Match. Download the Match app today and have some fun with it. This way you don't have to deal with crypto Carl or whoever you've been going out with, you can find someone that actually matches the energy that you're putting out there by treating yourself like the queen or king that you are. Download the Match app today and let me know what you think. And if you find your match. Hey guys, welcome back to We Met at Acme. I just saw you on Sunday, but we are doing a bonus episode today because we have so much exciting knowledge to share with you, particularly today's episode, which is with Dr. Emily Anhalt. And she's going to tell us all about the seven most important traits of emotional fitness, which make us date a lot better and be a lot more dateable. But before we get into that, I'm going to answer a few of your questions that you had asked, and then we'll get right into Emily. Somebody said, my boyfriend's dad asked about my boyfriend's ex in front of me. I kind of feel weird about it. Say something or let it go. Well, definitely don't say something to the dad, but I would maybe say something to the boyfriend if you want keeping in mind, like dads are not always that tuned in to what they're doing. I can't imagine that he had negative, bad intentions. I also don't know what he asked about the ex. Like, was he like, is your ex still gross? Oh, cool. Like not a big deal. But still, if it upset you, then that's valid. So I would just say to your boyfriend, like, hey, I felt a little weird when your dad brought up Tina is there like, did they have a relationship that was really special or, you know, like get inquisitive about it. And we talk about this in today's episode, like get curious about it. Somebody said, forgiving yourself with embarrassing hookups, dates gone wrong. I mean, if we didn't forgive ourselves about our embarrassing hookups and dates gone wrong, like how would we ever move on in life? Every single person has a situation where a date was embarrassing or hookup was embarrassing. Everyone does. I mean, I'm curious. I'm I'm actually going to ask a poll question because I'm very curious, but I have some really embarrassing hookups. I once had a guy come over. This is when I was like in a slump and hadn't had sex in a while. I was like, it was winter and the seasonal depression was real. I had some guy come over from an app. I don't even know if I'd ever met him. 
we were like talking back and forth for a while, but a date wasn't happening. And so I was like, you know what? Just come over. And his feet stunk. It was so nasty. And I was so desperate that I literally just looked past the fact that his feet smelled like ass and like still hooked up with him. And I'm so horrified still to this day. We didn't have sex, thank God. But like, no, not okay. Somebody asked how toxic exes have shaped me. Oh, they have shaped me. All right. If I feel like if I didn't date toxic exes, then I wouldn't know what a healthy relationship is. And that's not the case for everyone. Like, I'm not saying go out there and get hurt. Like, God forbid, you know, get emotionally abused. No, I I definitely don't want, want anyone to go through that. But for me personally, especially when I was young and dating in my early 20s and choosing bad partners, it made me realize what a good partner looks like. And so it shaped me in that way, but it also shaped me in like giving me PTSD and making me kind of like revert to thinking that Steven's going to say something or feel something that he doesn't feel because of that toxic partner I dated. So therapy really has helped um, with those toxic exes and helped me not be entirely negatively shaped by them, but in fact, positively shaped combating seasonal depression. Just talked about this, but it is very real. Uh, Steven and I spent the entire Sunday this past weekend in bed. Not that we were depressed as much as like we needed it because we've been traveling so much, but it's really real. And for people who don't have a partner right now, like you could be spending days upon days in bed and not having any motivation to get out of bed because it's, you know, not going to be sunny anymore soon past like 4 p.m. And it's cold and we're just hungry all the time and moody because of the seasonal changes. And it's a lot. And you see like all of these rom-coms everywhere you go in the fall, right? It's like there's something about fall being in love in the fall that like hits different, you know? And so you feel like extra sad if you're not feeling that way. If you don't have like that person sweeping you off your feet and like throwing leaves at you. And so it's a very comparative time as well. And it's hard to combat it. I would say to try to move your body every day, to try to walk and get outside as most like as best you can. I just recently started taking a vitamin D supplement that has helped me a lot Um, because I just feel like when I'm not getting the vitamin D, it's affecting every area of my life. I also suffered really badly from hair loss from going off the pill. And I feel like the vitamin D is maybe helping me. I don't know. I literally just started it, but I heard that it does. So that um, you can get a happy light, which they think they sell them on Amazon. I used to have one. It's basically just like a ray of of sunshine that you put in your face. Um, And it, it actually can make you happier. And I think just like making sure you have plans going on, like it's so easy to get depressed and to want to stay in bed when you have nothing to look forward to. Like give yourself something to look forward to. Also like get cute clothes that make you want to go out when it's colder. Friends changing for the worse with their partners. This is inevitable. You're going to have at least one friend in life that changes for the worse because of their partner. And you can either abandon them because you don't want to deal Or you can just see them without their partner and try to, instead of tell them what to do, like promote 
how great your partner has like an amazing effect on you and like makes puts you in a good mood, you know? And then maybe they'll notice that their partner doesn't do that for them. If it just gets really bad, then maybe your friendship unfortunately will suffer. And that's like, it goes back to why you should want to be like your partner, which actually answers another question that someone wrote in saying, you say that you should want to be like your partner, but isn't there always a few things you don't like? Absolutely. I mean, Stephen does not ever go to the gym. And like, I don't like that. I don't want to be someone who doesn't ever go to the gym. You know, there's always going to be things, but I think generally if someone was like, you're going to end up being more like Steven as you get older, I wouldn't be like, Oh no, I would be like, that's awesome. Like he he has so many great qualities, way more great qualities than qualities I don't want to be like. And so I would be okay with that, you know? And I think that's what it comes down to. It's like, if your partner doesn't have more good qualities that you would want to take on than bad, then that's not the right partner for you. Uh, First time disagreements with significant others in a relationship, how to not get anxious and how to move forward. It's so hard, but it's all about, it's all from Long Island now. It's all about the resolution and making sure that you are both feeling good at the end of the fight. When the fight is done, are you both still feeling uneasy? Because if you are, are you both feeling anxious? Then you need to move forward by talking about it. Maybe you need to be a little physical with each other, like intimate, not, you know, God forbid, in another way. Maybe you need to give each other a hug. Sometimes it's really just a simple hug that you need or to have a laugh together. And then it's like the anxiety floats away a little bit. And like, you can both just say out loud what you're feeling. Like this made me scared because I feel like we haven't had a fight before. And I'm like, what if they, what if he, you know, starts fights always from now on, or what if this is like our normal or, you know, talk about how you're feeling in that moment, how to communicate quality time with each other during a really busy season of life. I don't know if quality time can be communicated as much as like, you need to be a person of action. Like if you want to spend quality time with someone, you need to make a plan to do so. Or, you know, say, hey, like, I guess if you want to communicate it, you could be like, hey, I know we're both so busy. I would love if we can find a day that's the least busy on our weeks that we can do like a date night or do, you know, a a date night in, stay in and cook, whatever it is. I always really feel for the people who quality time is their love language because it's not mine and I'm personally really bad at it. But there's always a way to say it in a sweet, loving way as opposed to like, you never have time for me because that's never going to work. And lastly, significant other on boys trips and standards slash expectations to have. Okay. No expectations. The expectations that you should have are things that you like that's between you and your partner. It's not like what other people's partners do. It's not like what you see in movies or, you know, what your friends can tolerate. It's what makes you feel okay. And what makes you feel safe and secure in your relationship. I personally really trust Steven. And so like, if he were to go on a boy's trip, I really, it, he could do whatever he wants, but I would like that communication, like not whatever he wants is in like go sleep with other girls. But like if they were going to a strip club and he wanted to get a dance, like I don't really care, but he knows that I want to know these things. And that's what's so important for me. Whereas maybe there's another girl who, you know, when their boyfriend goes on a trip, she wouldn't be okay knowing 
at all and wants them to just like go to the strip club. Don't ask, don't tell, you know? And so it's a conversation around like what you're comfortable with your partner doing and what they would be comfortable with you doing in return. That's my favorite thing to say when dealing with men and like those conversations. And I'm just always like, well, put yourself in my shoes. Like, what would you be okay with? Like if they have like a close girlfriend, you know, I'd be like, well, if I had this close guy friend and we went, you know, ice skating, the two of us, like, would that make you okay? You know, it's so important to get them to go into your shoes. Um, and now time for an actual professional to tell us all the good things. And I hope you like the episode. Hey, babe, do you want to get longer looking lashes in as little as six weeks? Well, you need to try Babe Lash. Like stop whatever you are doing and try this serum. It's called the Essential Serum. I have been using it for seven weeks now and I have been getting compliments all the time on my lashes, even when I don't have mascara on, which is really amazing. Your eyes convey a lot. And especially when you're dating and meeting new people, you want your lashes to be the perfect accessory. You want to look your absolute best without having to go in and get a lash lift or a tint or all these things. No, you can literally just order Go to babeoriginal.com and use code ACME at checkout to save 15% off of your order. And Babe is so confident that you're going to love your results that they have a 90-day satisfaction guarantee. That means if you don't like the way that your lashes look after 90 days, you can actually just return it and get your money back. That's how confident they are that you're going to love your lashes. I've been using it again, as I said, for seven weeks, and the difference is unbelievable. I really want you to try it and see for yourself. So just go to babeoriginal.com and use code ACME at checkout to save 15% off of your order. That's babeoriginal.com and use code ACME at checkout to save 15% off of your order. Hey guys, welcome back to We Met at Acme. I'm so excited to be here with Dr. Emily Anhalt. Hi. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Thanks for coming on. So before we get started, Emily, how old are you and where are you from? I am 35 and I'm from the Bay Area living in San Francisco and New York. Love it. You are such a young looking 35. Like <laughs> I need you to share all your secrets, but maybe it's just like a mental health glow, perhaps. I wish that that were the case. I think actually... <laughs> I um, was lucky to have come from a family that came from this tiny village in Russia in a town that doesn't exist anymore where people all live past 100. So everyone no looks kind of younger. Everyone in my family looks younger than Wait, they are. That's so cool. There yeah. has to be like a common denominator to everyone in that town that we yeah. we need to know. Something. We'll do some research later. So Emily, what is your current relationship status? My current relationship status is married. Love it. Mm -hmm. Love it. How long have you been married? We've been married six years, but together for much longer. We met young. And we have kind of a non-traditional marriage, as is common in San Francisco. What does that mean? Well, maybe I'll save the details of that okay. for a more intimate audience. But, you know, in, in San Francisco, especially what I found is that there's a little more permission to define the rules of your relationship based mm -hmm. on what really works for you and your partner versus feeling like you have to subscribe to what most people do. I didn't know that was a San Francisco thing. I think everything in San Francisco is just allowed to be a little more eccentric. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. How did you guys meet? We met in college. 
Cute, cute. And you dated like from freshman year or was later on? Yeah, we started dating in college. We were together for most of college and then we took some time apart after school to figure out who we were as adults and then came back together and went from there. That's really cute. And why SF? I grew up in that area. I grew up Mm -hmm. in Palo Alto and I've just always had an interest in the psychology of the entrepreneur. So it lended itself nicely to doing work there. But my family's from New York. They moved out there just before I was born. So I feel like my heart is kind of split between the two places. I will say though, it's pretty hard to beat the weather and just the access to every kind of nature you could possibly want. In San Francisco, within two hours, you can be at a beach, the mountains, a forest, the desert, the city, pretty much anything you could want. Yeah, that's very true. And tell me a little bit about COA, why you founded it and what it is exactly. Yeah, sure. So COA is a gym for mental health. And our mission is to make working on your mental health more like going to the gym and less like going to the doctor, helping people work on their emotional fitness, as we call it, in a more proactive and ongoing way. And we do that through therapist-led emotional fitness classes where you're learning how to essentially do an emotional push-up. How do you work on your mental health a little bit every single day so that you grow stronger and not only have healthier relationships and feel like you're living a more authentic life now, but also potentially prevent a lot of the mental health struggles that send people looking for help later. And the classes are based on research that I did a number of years ago. I wanted to understand what is emotional fitness? What does a proactive approach to mental health look like? Like what's the equivalent of leg day and eating protein and, you know, for mental health? So I did a big research study. I interviewed 100 psychologists and 100 entrepreneurs. And I asked them, how would you know if you were sitting across the table from an emotionally healthy person? What does that look like? What does that feel like? What do they do? What do they not do? And out of this research came the seven traits of emotional fitness, which is what you will essentially work on at our gym for mental health. And those seven traits are self-awareness, empathy, mindfulness, curiosity, playfulness, resilience, and communication. And is it possible that you can have some of those traits, but not others and still be emotionally fit or even just have one of them? Like, I feel like, and I want to go over them again, a lot of them resonate with me. A lot of them resonate with like my partner. A lot of them resonate with a lot of the people that I deem like in a good standing, right? But not every single one. Yeah. Do you think it's realistic to have every single one of those? I think everyone's somewhere on the spectrum of every one of those. Mm-hmm. Like everyone has some self-awareness and some curiosity and some ability to communicate, et cetera. But where you are on that spectrum is going to be different for everyone. So figuring out what your strengths and struggles are is really helpful. And then you can focus on, you know, building up your muscles in the areas that you need a little more practice in, and you can use the ones that you're strong in to support other people. Yeah. Okay. So let's go by them one by one. Okay. The first one. Self-awareness. Self-awareness. So that's like the ultimate, like, struggle for everybody in life is to become their most self-aware self. And I feel like even if you do tons of work, there there's still people that might not think that you are self-aware. So what are some things that you can do, let's say in your day-to-day or in a more broad way that could bring self-awareness? Therapy is obviously huge. Yeah. I mean, self-awareness is a moving target. That's part of why this is important to be doing in an ongoing way. You might know yourself really well now, but a year from now, you're going to be a different person and you're going to have internalized different things and position yourself differently in the world. So we always have to be learning about ourselves. 
I think one of the things that blew my mind when I got into therapy was how much I didn't know I didn't know. I thought I was a very self-aware person until I gained access to parts of myself that I'd been working really hard not to see, which we all do. And when you start to see those parts, it's kind of amazing how much agency you gain in your life because suddenly you get to make choices based on what you know. So in terms of how to build it up, I do think therapy is the best thing a person can do. Obviously, I'm a little biased as a therapist myself, but it's really hard to learn about yourself by yourself. Having it reflected to you is really useful. So definitely recommend that. For people who want other suggestions, though, I recommend things like have some kind of daily journal practice. You do not have to write pages and pages. I have a one line a day journal. So every day I just write one sentence about how I'm feeling or what I did that day or what's on my mind. But I've kept it for years. And it's really interesting to see like, oh, wow, every year at this time, I'm kind of blue. Mm. Or hmm, every year right before Thanksgiving, I get a little anxious. I wonder why that is, that kind of thing. So you start to see patterns in yourself. And also our thoughts are kind of messier in our head than they are when we write them down. And then the other big suggestion I have is ask for feedback. Ask for feedback every chance you get. Go around to everyone in your life and say, in fact, if I could give an emotional push-up that people could do right now listening to this, it's pull out your phone and send a text message to one person in your life, two people, three people, whatever you have the energy for that says, hey, I'm working on my emotional fitness and I'd like to learn a little bit more about myself. Can you share one thing that I'm doing really well as a friend, colleague, boss, sister, whatever? And can you share one thing that I could do 10% better? That's, and see what comes back. Yeah, that's so scary. Yeah. Like just that <laughs> thought, I'm like, oh my God. It's it's a lot to, to prepare for, to receive an answer to that question. But I think you're right. And I think it's the fact that I even thought of that as scary just shows how important it is to do. And I think that the way that you phrased it, if if I phrased it like that, or if a friend phrased something like that to me, I would know it was serious. And I wasn't just like, oh, well, you, you're you annoying sometimes, you know, like I would actually <laughs> give a thoughtful answer yeah. because I would want to help them. So that's really interesting. And I think I might do that myself. When the seasons change, I get headaches after headaches after headaches. And it's so annoying and I could take all the Advil in the world, but it really doesn't get to the source of the problem. It's so important to replenish your electrolytes. This can be after having a few glasses of wine, if you're a drinker, to working out, to keeping an active lifestyle, to maybe traveling a lot, which I've been on planes and long, long flights with like no water and it's just not good. Also, my diet is like 100% junk a lot of the time. So I have been trying Element, which is a tasty electrolyte drink mix with everything that I need and nothing that I don't. So like the salt with no sugar and the good salt. It contains a science-backed electrolyte ratio, 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, and 60 milligrams of magnesium with none of the junk. Again, no sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, no gluten, no fillers, no BS. Element is formulated to help anyone with their electrolyte needs and is perfectly suited 
to folks following a keto, low carb or paleo diet. It's really, really amazing. And I know that after going off birth control, I need my hormones to be more normal, more than anything. Right now, Element is offering my listeners a free sample pack with any purchase. That's eight single serving packets free with any Element order. This is a great way to try all eight flavors or share Element with a salty friend. Get yours at drinkelement.com slash Acme. This deal is only available through my link. You must go to drinklmnt.com slash Acme. Element offers no questions asked refunds. It's You can try it totally risk-free. And if you don't like it, you can share it with a salty friend and they will give you your money back. No questions asked. You have nothing to lose. Check it out. Okay. And so the second one, empathy, empathy, this one, I struggle with a lot. So I'm very curious to hear what you can do to be better. Can you say more about why you feel like you struggle with it? Yeah. I don't know. I feel like I'm not super. It's funny because I say this about myself and people in my life will be like, yes, you are. But I don't feel that I'm super empathetic. Mm. I just don't like I, I, I'm very much like just dust yourself off and get get back up and, you know, get to it. And it's harder for me to feel for others mm. sometimes and, and feel what they're feeling. Well, it seems at least like you really understand empathy. A lot of people think empathy just means I understand what other people are feeling, but that's actually sympathy. Empathy means letting yourself feel what someone else is feeling so yeah. that you can have a sense of where they are. So that is a hard thing to do. We don't always want to feel other people's feelings. So I, I can understand that. In terms of how to increase it, one of the suggestions I give is that we tend to empathize more with things that we understand. So if you think about the last time you were really annoyed with someone, they were just being rude or annoying or whatever, and then you got more information. You found out, oh, they just lost their dog yesterday, or they just had a really tough conversation with their partner. All of a sudden it contextualizes their behavior your annoyance and your unwillingness to empathize with them probably goes down a little bit. Mm -hmm. So the more that we understand about the people in our life, the easier it tends to be to empathize with them. So one of the tools that I recommend for this is what we call at COA, the emotional fitness survey. So this is almost the opposite of the text message I recommended sending for self-awareness. With an emotional fitness survey, you would make just a quick Google survey and send it to the people in your life. This works really well at work for your team, but it's great just for your friends and family. And ask questions like, how would I know if you were overwhelmed? Or what does it look like when you're going through a tough time? How do you like your birthday celebrated? Do you like to get feedback in kind of a blunt, straight to the point way or more of a gentle, empathetic way? What could I do to make you feel loved and supported? Things like that. And now all of a sudden you have all this information about the people in your life. And when they're going through a hard time, it becomes easier to want to meet them there because you know what they need from you. That sounds also like questions to ask maybe on like a fourth or fifth date. <laughs> oh yeah. Or first or second. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> maybe. I love that. Yeah. Okay. And, the, and so the third one. The third one is mindfulness. Mindfulness. And we define mindfulness a little bit differently. It's not just sitting around and taking deep breaths. Mindfulness means the ability to become more comfortable being uncomfortable. So much of what we do in life is in service of moving away from discomfort. 
we hate being uncomfortable. We don't tolerate it well. So we don't have the tough conversation or we don't send the text message for feedback or we don't do any of the things that will make us uncomfortable. But on the other side of discomfort is pretty much everything that we want in life. And so as we get better at tolerating discomfort, we gain access to a whole lot of things. So to increase mindfulness, you kind of have to understand what is your personal breed of discomfort, your personal brand of discomfort look like? Because what makes some people uncomfortable doesn't make everyone uncomfortable. And as you learn that, then you can challenge yourself to lean toward it a little bit instead of away from it. So for some people, it's public speaking or saying no or putting up a boundary or whatever it might be. So I'd be curious for you, what's one thing that you're a little more uncomfortable with than most people? Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm not great at saying no. Yeah. That's, that's definitely one that I struggle with. Yeah, which totally makes sense. Mm-hmm. So to work on that, you would challenge yourself maybe in the next week to say kind but firm no to one thing. And then afterwards to reflect, like how, did, how was that for me? Was it really that bad? If it was that bad, where did I feel it? And what kind of support could I put into place to make it easier the next time? Mm-hmm. And just, you know, challenge yourself to get better at the things you tend to avoid. Yeah, I feel like how, how can that translate to dating and relationships, especially the saying no thing, right? Like I, I know people and I've been people who stay in relationships because they feel bad ending it. So like, what would you do in that situation to say no? Well, I think this ties to the first trait of self-awareness because we all stay in the wrong relationships for reasons that are unique to us. They're kind of similar across all people in some ways, but we need to understand why do we do that? What part of us is being served by that choice? So a lot of people who stay in the wrong relationships, it's because the way that they were loved for most of their life is not the way they want to be loved now, but that's what's familiar. And so they seek it out. Other people stay in the wrong relationships because they're people pleasers and they worry about hurting someone, whatever it is. So as you learn what your reasons are, then you can confront those things and you can say, okay, I really don't like hurting people, but I know this is the right choice for me. So I'm going to practice saying hard things. And maybe first I'll practice with my friend. Maybe I'll have the breakup conversation with my friend first and I'll see how it feels to be uncomfortable and I'll give myself some support and then I'll be a little more bolstered to have the tough conversation with the real person, that kind of thing. So it's just breaking things down and I don't know, trusting yourself that you're a little more able to handle the hard things than you think you are. Yeah. And practicing it and showing yourself like, okay, that wasn't actually so bad. I can do the tough thing. Yeah. I love that. Okay. And then the next one, was it curiosity? Uh Uh-huh. So this one I don't struggle with. In fact, I struggle because I'm too curious Uh and I ask too many questions. (laughs) It's good for a podcast host. (laughs) Exactly. But how could somebody who doesn't find themselves to be that curious get more curious? I think one thing that's helpful is just having a list of questions on hand because sometimes we just don't know what questions to ask. So for example, when someone comes to you with tough feedback or says something they're not happy with, our tendency is to be defensive. It's really human. We're all going to be a little defensive. But if you have a list of questions in your pocket that you can ask when this happens, then you're going to learn a lot of really important information. So if someone comes and says, hey, I really didn't like how you talked to me the other day. I thought it was really rude. Instead of saying like, that wasn't rude. I was just telling you the truth. You could say, well, tell me more about what that was like for you. Or how would you want it to be different next time? Or what were you feeling in that moment? And you still might think they're wrong, but as you ask those questions, you create a different kind of space to have a conversation with that person and they're going to feel safer to come to you the next time that they're not happy with something. So I think having a list of questions you can ask and then just reminding yourself to create some space between 
whatever is happening in life and yourself responding to that thing mm-hmm. and and insert questions. I actually, our head of emotional fitness at COA, Dr. Vinita Sandhu, introduced me to this study that was done, I think by Harvard Business School or something like that, that was looking at the number of questions people ask both on dates and in interviews, and then the success of those dates and interviews. And it showed that something like, I don't know, some crazy percentage of people only ask one to five questions over the course of an hour long date or interview. But the most successful people are asking like nine to 15 questions. Yeah. So I would say in the next conversation you're having with anyone in your life, whether it's a colleague or a date, challenge yourself to ask 10 questions in one way or another and see how different the conversation feels. I love that. And I'm a huge proponent of asking tons of questions. But again, going back to like people who find themselves stumped with what to ask, especially on a date, how can you find questions that are different from, are your parents together? Do you see your family a lot? You know, like the basic kind of what people might think of as boring questions. Yeah, I love a really creative out of the box icebreaker question. I actually just put together a list of my 30 favorite strange or unique icebreaker questions. So Google that. I mean, anyone can go and look up a few things before a date or whatever it might be. My latest favorites are, if you could win a lifetime supply of any one thing, what would it be? Who is someone who changed your life but doesn't know it? And I don't know, what's another one that I love? If your life were a story, and it only had two chapters so far. At what point in your life did you go from chapter one to chapter two? So what has been the most significant moment of change oh, in your life those. so far? So those are like broad, but then also what do you want to know about people? I think part of why people aren't curious is that they don't know that they have permission to ask questions. I think it's perfectly acceptable on a first date to ask anything that you want to know about this person and how they operate in the world. And you might be surprised by how much more fun a conversation is when you go there. I couldn't agree more. But every time I tell people like, ask this, don't be afraid to ask like about their last relationship or this, people, especially on TikTok, because those are the worst like <laughs> audience, they'll be like, this, what is this, an interview? And it's like, yeah, it kind of <laughs> <Kinda>. is. Like, <laughs> that's what a date is. Like you are kind of interviewing for a position as your partner. And if it wasn't questions and answers, what would it be? Like, obviously we want it to be a conversation, but you don't know each other yet. Yeah. I mean, you can start with yourself. That's one thing I try to do is let's say you want to know why this person's last relationship ended. You might say something like, so, you know, something that's interesting about me is the last relationship I was in ended because we both just realized we'd grown up into versions of ourselves that didn't really match anymore. And, you know, it was a, a tough time of life, but we got through it and I'm, I'm happy with where I am. What about you? And what was the last relationship you were in and why didn't it work out? So show like modeling vulnerability. So it doesn't feel like you're just, you know, interrogating someone. Yeah. I don't know. I would probably feel weird and like a little unnatural about that because I'd be like, what if they don't want to know or like care? But I would ask the question with a vulnerable response ready mm. to go uh-huh. so that they don't feel, or even if they, even if let's say I asked them why their last relationship ended and they were like, oh, it just wasn't a match. I'd be like, okay, well mine ended because like he cheated on me. <laughs> and then like I showed up to his house with like, you know, and then I was crying and then, and then maybe just me being vulnerable then would have them be like, okay, well the real reason was, you know? Yeah. I'm big on consenting into these types of things too, saying like, 
hey, I'd, I'd love to know more about you and the relationships you've been in. Are you up for talking about that? Yeah. And then that way they get to say like, no, it feels a little early for that. Or they could say, yeah, sure. You know, and now they're ready for it. Yeah, I love that. I, I don't often do the like consent unless it's like about a loss that somebody mm-hmm. has been through. Yeah. I'll be like, are you, is it okay if I ask you questions about that? But it, it's interesting and such a good perspective that you can ask that that you can consent about other questions as well. I like yeah, that. Anything. Yeah. And th- what's interesting about it is once a person says yes, there is a layer of their defensiveness that will come down because they have made the choice mm-hmm. versus feeling like they are being forced to do something. Yeah, I love that. Are you guys also spending your time on your reels looking for the most delectable fall recipes because I am like, I want all the butternut squash, all of the pumpkin spice. I'm so into it, but I have no idea where to start. I don't know what to buy in order to create the most amazing recipes. And sometimes I wish I could just snap my fingers and have all of my recipe searching, grocery shopping and meal planning done for me which is why I'm so grateful to have Hungry Root in my life. I never have to think about what's for dinner or breakfast or lunch again because Hungry Root is there for me. Hungry Root is the easiest way to get fresh, high-quality food delivered to your door. They've got healthy groceries and simple recipes all in one place. All you do is take a fun, short quiz, and Hungry Root will get to know you, your goals, and how you like to eat. If you're gluten-free, do you like sweets, do you hate sweets, they'll keep it top of mind for you and start building building your cart. Then they recommend the groceries that they think that you'll love and they'll send you the recipes and the groceries that align with that recipe. Right now, Hungry Root is offering We Met at Acme listeners 30% off your first delivery and free veggies for life. Just go to HungryRoot.com slash Acme to get 30% off of your first delivery and get your free veggies. That's HungryRoot.com slash Acme. Don't forget to use our link so that they know that we sent you and to let me know what you think about your awesome recipes and what you end up making and hopefully it has some pumpkin in it. Okay, the next one is... The next one is playfulness. Playfulness. Right, which, you know, I think when I, whenever I ask people, when's the last time you played, they'll usually tell me about a sports game or a video game or a board game, which are great. But I really like the improv definition of play, which is saying yes and. Mm-hmm. So when you think about it that way, like taking a joke way too far with a friend is play. Yeah. Or brainstorming is play. Mm-hmm. And I just don't think that we prioritize play enough in our adult lives. And they've shown that p- being playful increases memory and creativity and spontaneity and it brings people together. But I actually read one study years ago that showed that people who play regularly live longer by a significant number of years than people who don't play regularly. Wow. Maybe so. that's the secret to that could the be Russian. <laughs> I love that. I think that playfulness is so important. And I actually remember when I first met my husband, I was so nervous that we'd never become playful because it's not something that happens almost immediately. You know, you like, and it it can, right. And you can't have inside jokes on dates, but to be really genuinely the weird part of yourself with someone, the person who does like things that are just in like the spur of the moment. And, you know, it takes like a little while. And I remember I said it to to my best friend, I was like, what if I can never be weird with Steven? And she was like, it's been like a month. 
trust me, you will be. And now I, I laugh with my husband about when I said like, what if? Yeah. Because we are so like that. And actually speaking of playfulness, I was with a friend the other day who I hadn't seen in a while. And we were just walking, you know, shopping. And we decided to do, are you a Saturday Night Live person? Okay. So I don't remember the exact name of the skit, but it's with Kristen. It was with Kristen Wiig. And it's when they, like, she talks at the same time. Yeah. As a, <laughs> yeah. And so we just started doing that. I love and that. it was so funny. And we were just like giggling and laughing and and now I really measure my good times with friends and with my husband and with my family on how much we laughed and like giggled, not just laughed because giggled is like true playfulness. Yeah. I mean, you're speaking to such an important thing, which is the reason people don't play more is because it's really vulnerable. When you play, your guard comes down naturally, which is scary for people who work hard to keep their guards up. So it doesn't always feel safe to play right away. And that's okay. But I totally agree that part of why play is so important is that it signals that you're willing to be a little bit more vulnerable with another person and meet them where they are and build on their ideas. And together, you're going to get somewhere that you couldn't have gotten to alone. And that's why play can be so magical. Yeah. What are some suggestions if you are having trouble easing into becoming playful with someone, especially a new partner? So I, like I said, love icebreaker questions. I think that's a nice way to start meetings, for example, or a date or whatever it might be. But I would say take an improv class if you're not so comfortable with play. It will be very uncomfortable, but it will be uncomfortable in a contained space where you probably don't know anyone and you're going to get much more able to lean toward that part of yourself. And then next time you're meeting someone and you're wanting to lean into play a little bit, challenge yourself just to be a yes and person. So for example, let's say you're talking to someone and they said something like, yeah, I've always wanted to start a restaurant. I feel like it would be really cool to, to start a restaurant with like some kind of crazy theme. Not being a yes and person would say like, oh yeah, that'd be cool. But say, being a yes and person would be like, yes. And what if the theme of that restaurant was that everyone had to dress like their favorite you know, TV character? And then the other person would be like, oh yeah. And so then if that were true, I would come dressed as so-and-so. So just saying yes and and continuing something on invites a person to connect with you in that way and invites a person to be playful with you. I love that. And then the last- Two more. Oh, two more. Resilience. Okay, resilience. Mm -hmm. So how can you measure somebody's resilience from like being across the room from them? I don't know how I'd measure someone else's resilience, but I think you can measure your own by how confident you feel in your ability to bounce forward through difficult things. And I say bounce forward because we never really go back to who we were before a difficult thing. So we can learn from tough things and integrate them and become, you know, hopefully resilient versions of ourselves as a result. But you know, you're born with some resilience, but it also can be built over time. And some people are resilient because they had to be, they had no choice. They mm -hmm. were put through really tough things and their only choices were to give up or to, you know, become a more resilient person. So it's a complicated one, but I do think that we can learn and practice it. Mm -hmm. And what, if you've gone through something, let's say you're going through grief, which is like the toughest of all, I would say to move forward from, mm -hmm. what is a way that you can work on that so that you seem, you know, mentally fit or, or yeah, emotionally fit. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes we don't give ourselves enough credit for how resilient we are. I mean, 
anybody listening to this has gotten through 100% of their most difficult days. So you're doing something, it's working somehow. What I like to do during a tough moment like that is to make a list of all of my internal resources and all of my external resources. So internal resources are things like, I've gotten through tough things before. I have a really amazing ability to ask for help when I need it. I believe in myself, things like that. External resources are, I have a loving partner who will show up for me if I need it. I have X, Y, and Z friends and family members. I have a community. And sometimes just seeing that you have the resources makes you feel more resilient to get through the thing because you know you're not gonna be doing it with nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, that's really helpful. Okay. And the last one, last, last one's but not communication. Least, communication, which I'd argue might be the most important of all, but I'm curious what you think is the most important. I feel like the most important are self awareness and mindfulness because if you can't tolerate discomfort and you don't know what your struggles are, it's hard to change anything. Yeah. But communication, I agree, is so important, especially for healthy relationships. Mm-hmm. And so learning how to put words to your needs and boundaries and expectations is really going to be a powerful force in your life. Yeah. But I feel like you can't have anything else if you don't have communication. Like, and you can't communicate well if you don't have anything else. Mm, yeah, I guess it's all kind of a catch-22 in that yeah. way. That's the beauty of these seven traits is if you start anywhere, the others will naturally improve because they're all really tied together. Mm-hmm. Like as you become a better communicator, you're going to be able to be more playful. And as you're more playful, you're going to be able to be more empathetic and et cetera, et cetera. So wherever you start, you will be doing yourself a big service. Mm-hmm. What is the one out of this seven that you have really tried to work so hard on the most with clients? I would say, I mean, when people come to therapy, they, I think, are really asking for help with all seven in one way or another. But I would say a mix of mindfulness, gosh, I don't know, all of them. Mindfulness, communication, and self-awareness kind of pop to mind. Mm -hmm. But then when I think about it, like one of my favorite psychologists said that anything that is created is done so because of play and that therapist's job is really to help a person feel safe to play and that out of play comes all of these other things. So I don't know, it's like you're asking me to pick a favorite child. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, I love that. And what therapist was that, just out of curiosity, that had that advice? Donald Winnicott. Interesting, okay. I'm gonna gonna look into him a little more. So I'm curious for you, Lindsay, what would you say of those seven is your top strength and what would you say is your top area of growth? I think communication is probably my top, Nice. Also Um, makes sense for a podcast host. Yeah. Just like love to over communicate. Uh Um, Have also been bad at communication in the past. Yeah. And that's why I think I've I've gotten better at it, like at jobs and things like that. I've under communicated and it's it's landed me, you know, fired or whatever it is in relationships, I've under communicated and it's led me to stay in a relationship for longer than I wanted to or you know, the other person didn't know how I felt about X, Y, and Z. And so now I definitely try to communicate very clearly and as often as possible. And I would say empathy. Yeah, Mm, definitely that. that. Just because it's, I think a lot of it has to do with like past relationship trauma almost of like, I'm with such a healthy partner now, but I wasn't always And I can sometimes label something before he has a chance to tell me 
like if he, you know, does something, I'll just like assume that it's something similar to like maybe what an ex would do when in reality his intention is not like that at all. And that comes back to like my inability to like feel what he's feeling and to kind of label his feeling as something I've experienced in the past instead. Yeah, that's super fair and self-aware. <laughs> Which I'm still really working on. I love what you said about communication though. I think transparency will get people so much farther. I mean, the amount of effort people go not to say what they think and need and feel when really by saying what you think and need and feel, you are just so increasing the likelihood of getting it. And by asking people what they need and you know think and feel, you're gonna be able to move closer to them and closer to where you wanna be. It's so true. And the communication aspect has gotten me through so many fights or like arguments with flying colors because I'm like, okay, we're obviously not seeing eye to eye. This is my exact thought process uh-huh. <laughs> that led me to think that you had left the jar open or whatever it is, right? Or this is my exact thought process to why I thought that you weren't being nice tonight. And what I like and what I had gone through that day that made me really need you to be nice mm. tonight. And you, you know, and like there is no shame in that game of explaining your exact thoughts because that helps them understand where you're coming from. And then maybe they'll explain theirs. And then you realize, oh, okay, it was literally just us not, like, us miscommunicating. Yeah. But if we didn't know that, we would be going on and on and on. Yeah, I mean, well, you just described exactly what we were talking about around empathy, that when you can communicate what's going on in your mind, the other person is going to be much more likely to take a step toward you and understand it and therefore be willing to be there with you. Yeah. So I love it. Okay. I love how much we spent on the seven trades. <laughs> Maybe that's just going to be the whole episode essentially, but I do want to ask a few more things. Great. How do we know if our mental health is in a good place to date? So this looks so different for different people. Just like, how would you know if you were physically healthy? For some people, it's, you know, how they feel when they look in the mirror. For some people, it's how many flights of stairs they can run up or whatever it might be. So mentally, I would say, a few things to think to yourself about are, am I satisfied in my relationships? Do I like the quality of my relationships? Do I feel good about the people who I've surrounded myself with? Do I feel like I have the support that I want? So really, I think the true mechanism of healing in mental health is relationships. And that's what we're trying to move toward is, is ones that we feel good about. Other things are like, how motivated and energized do I feel to do the things I really want to do in life? When we're not excited about things we would normally be excited about, that's a sign that something might be going on with our mental and emotional health. And, you know, how authentic do I feel my life is? Do I feel like I'm living life based on what is actually true for me? Or do I feel like I'm living life based on what is expected of me and, or what I think other people need from me? So those are a few things that you can check in with yourself about. But I would say that everyone could use support with their mental and emotional health, just like we could all be a little physically healthier. So for anyone out there considering it, start the journey today. There's, there's no downside. Yeah. I love that. And agree. What do you tell people that have imposter syndrome Uh that can kind of help them feel less like an imposter? Yeah. I actually did a thread on this on Twitter that I'll pull up because it's a common thing. A lot more people feel imposter syndrome than we might realize, Yeah, which is part of what makes it powerful is we think we're the only ones who feel this way when really it turns out everyone's making shit up as they go. (laughs) Yeah, I'm privy to the, you know, unshared thoughts of 
a lot of really successful people. And I can tell you behind the scenes, they all feel insecure too and, and don't totally know what they're doing. So yeah. part of it is knowing you're not alone. Some other tips are talk about it. Understand what your particular version of imposter syndrome looks like. Like, where do you feel it? Do you feel it most when you're in, when you feel like you have to impress people? Do you feel it most when you're being evaluated? Do you feel it most when you're with your male boss? Do you feel it most when you're with your parents? Like once you know what it is for you, then you can confront it better. And then one of the things I say is stop shitting all over yourself. Like I should be more successful. I should have more followers. I should be smarter, whatever it is. The problem with this mindset is if we feel like we should have already done something, it makes us think we can't do it now. And that's often not the case. Other suggestions, I do something we call a self-esteem file at COA. I've also heard it called a win bin, a smile file, a thank bank. But essentially every time you get a good piece of feedback, screenshot it or write it down and add it to a folder. And then mm. when you're feeling impostery, go through that folder. And that might sound a little trite, but I've been doing this for 10 years. And when I feel crappy about myself, it is very compelling to look through 10 years worth of data that I have made a positive impact on people in the world. Yeah. So it kind of helps contextualize it for me. And practice accepting compliments. We're really bad at that. We obsess and ruminate over negative feedback all day long. But when we get a compliment, we'll not even let ourselves have it. And then I guess fake it till you make it. Like it's okay if you don't always think of yourself as amazing. But sometimes you can say, I am worthy. I am loved. I am doing okay until the words in our head become a reality. Yeah. I love that. This is a common thing that comes up a lot with, especially most of our listeners are women and they have, you know, most are in hetero relationships with a male partner who might not be willing to see a therapist. Mm. How do you talk about mental health at all with a partner who's not willing to see a therapist? I mean, how, how do they understand? Yeah, I get this question a lot. How can I get my partner to go to therapy? How can I get my mom to go to therapy? The truth is we can't get anyone to go to therapy if they don't want to, and it won't work anyway. Because if a person doesn't want to be there, the work is not gonna be successful. But I have personally gotten, I'd say about somewhere between six and 800 people into therapy over the course of my life at this point in one avenue or another including most of my friends and family. And I'll tell you, it never happens from me talking about myself as a therapist. It always happens for me talking about myself as a patient. So I go to therapy and then I just talk about it kind of every chance I get. I'll be like, here's something I found out about myself. Here's what's better in my life because of therapy. Here's how my relationships have changed. Here's what I talked about this week. Oh, I thought I had nothing to talk about. And then here's what ended up coming up, that kind of thing. And what would happen is people would say like, huh, well, you seem like you're doing okay in life. And if you're in therapy, then maybe I might try therapy or it seems to be working for you. I, I want that. I want more authentic relationships. I want to have epiphanies about why I'm doing things the way I'm doing. And so I found that people will just naturally come to me and say, hey, I'm thinking about it now. Will you help me? Mm -hmm. And so if you want someone in your life to be in therapy, I recommend you go to therapy. Like start with your own work first and share about it. And you might be surprised by how willing someone is then to consider it for themselves. Beyond that, though, I think we all have to accept the limitations of agency that we have over other people. You can't force anyone to do anything. That sucks. It's hard. But you're going to be happier in your relationship if you can accept that ultimately. Yeah, agreed. The only person you can control is yourself. But attraction to therapy by talking about it is always a good idea. Yeah. 
Okay. And my last question, we always talk about trusting our gut. How do we know if we should trust our gut if we have mental health struggles, meaning like we might have someone saying something to us in our mind that isn't necessarily aligned with how we actually feel? You're speaking my language because I actually don't like the advice, always trust your gut, because our gut instinct is generally trying to get us to do what it will think, what it thinks will keep us safe. But our gut instinct is often formed around trauma, not truth. So I'll give the example of like, if you were bit by a dog as a kid, your gut instinct might be that all dogs are dangerous and all dogs aren't dangerous. Similarly, if you weren't treated in a loving and healthy way when you were young, then your gut instinct in a healthy relationship might be to run and your instinct in an unhealthy relationship might be to stay. So it's not that we should ignore our gut because it's telling us something important, but we should listen with discernment and we should be thinking not only about what our instinct is telling us, but also what our logical mind would respond to that instinct with. So you can almost have a conversation of like, okay, my gut is telling me that I should get the hell out of this relationship. What does my mind think? And your mind might be like, okay, well, that, but that's because you feel like he likes you so much and you're not used to being liked. Don't you want to be liked? Maybe you don't need to leave. And you can have a conversation between these two things. So just get comfortable questioning, getting curious with yourself, bringing in other minds, ask the opinion of those you trust and love, get mm -hmm. into therapy, all of that. Would you say that if you do the seven exercises or traits for emotional fitness and you work on them, that your gut becomes a more trustworthy place? Yes, I do think it becomes a more trustworthy place. Totally. I love that. Over time. I love it. Emily, can you leave us with a quote or piece of advice that has helped you throughout the years? Oh, I love it. I'll share my favorite piece of advice that I've ever gotten, if you want, which is how to deal with uncertainty and anxiety, which I don't know about you, but something comes up for me a lot. So the best piece of advice I ever got was years ago, I was in a tough situation. Someone I really loved was in the hospital and it wasn't looking like they were gonna make it. And I was really anxious about what I was gonna do if they died. And I was just spinning and just didn't know how to handle it. And a family friend came over who is an oncologist. So he had a lot of experience dealing with loss. And I was like, what am I gonna do? If this person dies, how am I gonna handle it? And he said, Emily, the version of you that will handle that tough thing if and when it happens will be born into existence in that moment. And that version of you will have more life experience and more context and more ability to figure out how to handle that thing than you do now. So it's not fair of you to expect yourself now to know how you're gonna handle something that hasn't happened. You need to trust your future self to handle future problems. And so that was amazing in that moment for me. But now anytime I'm anxious, like, what if I miss the bus? What if I get COVID? I'll remind myself, you know what? Future me is a badass. She'll figure it out. I'm just going to focus on what's true right now. I love that. It's like the anti-future tripping. Yes. It's amazing. <laughs> exactly. Emily, where can everyone find you, follow you, and sign up for their mental health gym? Yeah. So head to joincoa, J-O-I-N-C-O-A.com. If you would like to check out our gym for mental health, if you use code emotionally fit, you'll get 50% off membership. I'm super active on Twitter. Follow me at DR Emily Anhalt, D R E M I L Y A N H A L T, on Twitter or Instagram. And I have a podcast as well called Emotionally Fit with Dr. Emily Anhalt, which is emotional push ups. So twice weekly, we do little exercises that you can do to work on your mental health. Cool. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me.
please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.